Good morning. Welcome. I'm Pastor Allen. Hopefully I greeted you at the door when you came in. Uh, we're in a series called Brand New, and we started this uh, two weeks ago. Um, if you haven't been here, and I know we have some new folks, um, do a little review here at the beginning, catch you up. If you want to go back and listen to the whole message or teaching, you can do that on our website. <clears throat> but uh, this is week three of five, so you're right there in the middle. And we're going to talk about a very important aspect uh, of this topic. <clears throat> um, most of you are aware this is a week where we change government, <laughs> government leadership. And it doesn't matter where your political stance is. One of the great things about America is we have a tr peaceful transfer of power. So there won't be any guns, hopefully, <laughs> uh, this week when uh, uh, the government changes. So that's something we should thank God and be very thankful for that we live in a country that can do that every four or eight years, depending on the circumstances. So, <clears throat> let's, get, let's begin. Uh, I think all of us would agree that religion is a very powerful thing. Some very great things have been done in the name of religion, and some very horrible things have been done. Uh, part of the danger is that it produces a fear and superstition among people, and that results in some of these negative things that have happened. Probably the greatest danger, though, is that our conscience are anchored in religion. Whether you're a religious person or not, and if you're not, we're glad you're here, but if you grew up in America or wherever you grew up, part of your conscience has been um, determined by your culture and your environment. In this case, especially if you're as old as me, in America, we grew up in kind of a Christian country. I don't believe in Christian countries, but most people in America believed in Christianity. Not quite so much anymore, which I think is a good thing, but anyway, talk about that in a few minutes. Your conscience is anchored in a combination of what we're going to call the temple model, we'll talk about that in a minute, and actually what Jesus said. So last week we made this statement, and we'll talk about this uh, this morning. We're going to do some review, and then we're going to do some history, and then we're going to talk about your conscience. Our conscience determine religious realities whether they reflect reality or not, which means you and I all believe things. Some things we believe are in error and some things are based on truth. And the way you can know that is if you've lived long, very long, you feel differently about some things now than you used to. You feel guilty about things now that you didn't used to feel guilty about and you don't feel guilty about things now that you used to feel guilty about. So either you were in error before or error now, or you were in error both times. But both couldn't be true, right? So our conscience determine religious reality, what we think is right and wrong, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, whether that's truth, reflects truth or not. <clears throat> and we see it in our nation. Our nation's conscience has changed quite a bit. Again, if you've lived as long as I have, you've seen that, that shift. Some things that we consider wrong in our nation now are okay, and some things okay, considered okay in the past are not considered okay now. So again, it's a combination. But here's the key. Whatever, whoever controls your conscience controls your behavior, controls your actions, controls your attitudes, controls what you do or don't do. So do a little bit of review. Talk, we mentioned this two weeks ago. It's called the temple model. And it's not just based on the ancient temple of Judaism. It's based all ancient religions as whether modern religions of the world. Now, Christianity shouldn't be lumped in here 
as we're going to see, but it has invaded Christianity, and we'll talk about that today. What do we mean by temple model? There's a sacred place. For Jews, it was the temple in Jerusalem. But no matter where it is, it could be Mecca, depending on your, on your, your religion, there's a sacred place. This place is more sacred than that place. There are sacred texts, writings, certain things that people have said and written down that these are attributed to God. These have special weight. And then, of course, you've got to have some sacred men that interpret these sacred texts in these sacred places for most of us peons that can't understand it for ourselves. All right? So consequently, we're the sincere followers and we're dependent on these sacred men to tell us what the sacred texts mean and what we should do and shouldn't do. So our conscience are tuned by the temple model. Now some of you walked away from this because you were smart enough to realize it wasn't working for you. The temple model doesn't work very well. And uh, <clears throat> you've walked away and maybe you're trying to come back and it's still a problem for you. So we'll talk about that. But Jesus came along and said, okay, I'm going to do away with the temple model. In fact, we're going to kind of almost do the opposite. We're going to be something brand new. And so we talked about that. Uh, involved four different new things, a new covenant. So, okay, uh, used to relate to God. You used to get right with God this way. We're gonna ch- it's going to be different. It's going to be a new arrangement, a new way to connect with God. Uh, easier way, actually. It's based on a new commandment. You don't need ten commandments. You only need one. Love one another. and Love God and love one another. Kind of two lumped into one. So that's a new ethic. That's what drives your behavior. That drives your attitude is this new commandment to love God and love one another. And then it produced a new movement. And we use this Greek word. I don't like a lot of Greek words. But ekklesia because it was mistranslated in our Bibles as church. But it really doesn't mean church. It means gathering or congregation. So Jesus said, we're going to start these little ecclesias, these little congregations, these gatherings of people. So instead of being based on the law, the Old Testament, now it's going to be based on love, this ecclesia. Instead of being based on animal sacrifices at the temple, it's going to be based on self-sacrifice. And here's the biggie. Instead of being focused on your vertical relationship with God, it's going to be focused on your horizontal relationship with one another. And Jesus even said this. He said, if you go to the temple, you go to the, that, that uh, sacred place, and you remember, hey, there's some, something wrong with my, my, one of my relationships, either with your spouse, your parents, somebody at work, whatever. There's something wrong that says, leave the sacred place and go make that right. And this kind of sounds almost sacrilegious because God can wait. You and God are okay. God can wait. Go fix your horizontal relationships. Then we talked about Paul came along 20 years or so after Jesus. And he was sold out to the temple model. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He he thought that was great to have a sacred place and he was of course one of the sacred men and with the sacred text. And when Jesus movement came along, he said, hey, this is, this is, this is wrong. It doesn't follow the temple model. And he set out to destroy the church. If God hadn't got a hold of him, he probably would have. That's how committed he was. But once he discovered, found out, believed the truth He completely changed. He said, okay, the temple model was old. We're going to get rid of the temple model. 
which would have been really radical for him. That would have been really hard for him to do. But he said, Jesus has started something new. And he said, you can't even mix the two. If you mix even a little bit of the temple model in, it's going to destroy the whole thing. And last week we used that illustration that he did about a little yeast affects the whole batch of dough. And then in that, in that text we looked at last week, this was the main verse, verse 6. He said this, what is important? What's the most important thing? What is the main thing? Let's make the main thing the main thing. The main thing is this, faith, but not just some intellectual faith, faith expressing itself in love. So because I believe this, I am treating loving people this way. <clears throat> and then um, later on he wrote something else because again the Jews thought the temple in Jerusalem was the holiest place. And he said, no, 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 we're getting rid of the temple model so here's the new model. He says, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So it's not this place in Jerusalem, it's you. You're holy, and you're holy, and you're holy. It's not some place, it's not some building, it's not something you can go to. The cool thing about this, now it's portable, right? We all take that holiness with us wherever we go. In fact, you're just as holy as the Holy of Holies, which is that place in the temple that the high priest only got to go once a year. And he had to prepare himself because it was so holy. He said, no, no, no. You're all just as holy as that. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lives in you and is given to you by God. Then he goes on. And this is the key, and we'll mention this in a few minutes too. You don't belong to yourself. Now see, the temple model is all about you figuring out how to connect with God and stay connected to God. He said, no, no, no. You don't have to worry about that anymore because you don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price, the highest price, the death of his son. So you've got to honor God with your body. It's holy. It's, your it's a holy temple. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, do it with the temple model. We have this new model. Now, if you study the book of Acts, study the early church, it got off to an extraordinary start. Just amazing things happened. And uh, the fascinating thing, if you go back and look at it, is the unchurched people, the heathens, the Greeks and the Romans and so forth, they are watching this and they can't figure it out. They can't understand it. Because these followers of Jesus, the followers of the way, they were taking in orphans, for example. And children had no value in, in, in Roman culture that day. Uh, not only just any orphans, they would take in the Roman orphans and the Greek orphans. They would take care of sick people when others would just leave them to die. They were one anothering one another. They were loving one another and taking care of one another and forgiving one another. And, it, and for the, from the outsiders looking at this, they just couldn't understand it because it wasn't part of the way they operated. And the ma most amazing thing was they couldn't understand was these followers of Jesus weren't afraid to die. Everybody's afraid to die. But they are followers of a risen God. So they weren't afraid to die. And that's why they would help take care of sick people. And that's why they could, you know, go into the lion's dens and be crucified without denying their faith. And it just, the outsiders just couldn't understand it. They were amazed by it. And so, many, or at least some of them uh, were converted to the way. And then something really extraordinary happened. In AD 70, 
this Jewish temple, this holiest place, holiest, holiest of places, the Romans came in and destroyed it. Now, I don't know. If I was a Jew back then, I don't know what I would have thought. How would I would have felt. We're, we had no holy place to go to anymore. It's just rubble. It's been destroyed. It's kind of like God saying, okay, if you don't believe me, that says, oh, we're getting rid of the old temple model and it's just new. I'm going to get rid of the temple. <laughs> so uh, you'll understand. Then 300 years later or so, 250 years later, something uh, pretty amazing happened also. In 312, uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine was going to go into battle and history records that he saw a cross in the sky. And it's a little vague about whether he saw this written or he heard this uh, uh, audibly. Uh, but here's what it's recorded. In this sign, conquer. Meaning the cross. In the sign, conquer. So what he did was put some crosses, <laughs> which was again a means of execution, right? Put some crosses on some of the sh soldiers' shields and he went out to battle. We got a picture of somebody's rendering of this anyway. So he put the cross on the shields and on some of the, uh, the clothing. And he went out and won. Won the battle. And so now all of a sudden, Christianity came to the forefront. Constantine became a follower. The cross, which until now had been, again, a symbol of crucifixion, of, of murder, of, of execution now became a symbol of this religious following called, we call Christianity. And that's where it began. Now this Roman Empire, this went on for another thousand years or so, we call, if you're a history person, you'll know this, the Holy Roman Empire. The problem was it wasn't very holy. It was Roman and it was empire, but it wasn't very holy. Within a year, Christianity became legalized. Now this is huge. You can have been executed for being a Christian. Now it's the in thing, right? It's legalized. It became the in thing because it got special tax breaks, for example. And so what did rich people do? Poor people didn't make much difference. Rich people came connected to the church so they could avoid paying taxes. And the emperor started building church buildings. That's where church became connected with a building rather than be a group of people. And uh, he even started taking care of orphans, etc., etc. <clears throat> so I put this statement on your outline. The Holy Roman Empire, Christianity went from being a persecuted minority, this is kind of mind-boggling, to an empowered majority. So, so one day you're being persecuted for being a Christian, and now everybody's celebrating that you're a Christian. Now, we think that's a good thing, right? Not so much. The problem was, mixture of, we would say, uh, religion and, and state. In the United States, we had separation of church and religion. I mean, church and state. Uh, this is where they became combined. And it became hard to, to separate the two. And again, the Holy Roman Empire was more Roman and empire than it was holy. In fact, the emperor, Constantine, didn't get baptized until his deathbed because he wanted to make sure... <laughs> Uh, his lifestyle was, 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 was covered. To kind of illustrate this, during Aunt Constantine's life, there became a controversy, a theological controversy. It was called the 
Arian controversy. And it was based on this word begotten. And I'm sure this is things that you all sit around and think about all the time and debate. The debate was this. Was Jesus born the Son of God or did he become the Son of God later in life? And Arian was from Egypt, Alexandria, and he believed that Jesus became God later in life, probably at his baptism, all right? This is what he believed, this is what he taught. And then some other people believed, like most of us did, that Jesus was born God. And so Constantine, he wasn't a theologian, but he didn't want to have this controversy, so he called a council meeting. And he actually paid for it himself. He was the host. So you know who everybody was answerable to, right? <laughs> to the emperor. Anyway, a man by the name of Anastasius, he believed that Jesus was born uh, the Son of God. And he kind of argument, and if you know some history, this is called the Nicene Council. But the problem was this. All of a sudden, theology became a political issue. Now, look, let's look at something Constantine wrote. <clears throat> I hereby make it public order that if someone should be discovered to have hidden a written, comp written writing composed by Arius, this guy that said Jesus wasn't God until he was 30 years old, and not immediately brought it f forward and destroyed it by fire, they were going to be fined something, right? Or something bad's going to happen to them. Not, they could be executed. Now you could be executed depending on what you believed about some theological issue. It was based on beliefs now, not behavior. As long as you believe the right thing, doesn't matter how you act. So Christianity became creedal. And some of you may have heard of the Apostles' Creed, maybe you've quoted it. Good theology. What is the problem with creeds though? Well again, the emperors were more, they weren't very holy. If you're going to write a creed for the emperor, you can't include behavior. In fact, creeds don't even have love in it. it. There's no behavior. It's all intellectual beliefs. So consequently, you could adhere to the Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed and go ahead and do almost anything you wanted. But I believe that God is the one true God and Jesus is his son, etc., etc. And you could be arrested for not agreeing or not believing. So again, the sacred men became the gatekeepers of heaven and hell. Because most people couldn't read, especially couldn't read Latin or Greek. So there was a small group of people, priests and, and archbishops and so forth, that would take the sacred text, they put together the, what we call the New Testament now, you have the Old Testament and New Testament, they take the sacred text, and they would interpret it for the sincere followers and tell them what was right and wrong, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. More importantly then was what they should believe and shouldn't believe. So they had tremendous power. About 1100, uh, 11th century rather, the Pope came along and said, hey, we need to go conquer the holy place, Jerusalem. The uh, Muslims had control of it. So they started, issued what we call the Crusades. And he told all the landowners and the knights, if you go and conquer Jerusalem, all your sins will be forgiven. So they pillaged their way all the way from Europe to Jerusalem. And they also added on to that they persecuted the Jews because Jews killed Jesus, right? And so they just did horrible things. They raped and pillaged and all the way to Jerusalem. They got to Jerusalem. They conquered Jerusalem. And so 
Ta-da, their sins were forgiven. It lasts about 100 years, and then the Muslims took it, took it back. So let's fast forward a few hundred years more. I don't know how many of you know this is a pretty significant year because 500 years ago, in 1517, we have what we call the Reformation. And Martin Luther is given the most credit for this. Martin Luther uh, was a layman, but he studied Greek, and he was reading the New Testament and looking at the Catholic Church, and he saw this huge differences, especially about being able to buy your forgiveness. And so he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. But the Catholic Church saw him as a protester. So that's why we call it the Protestant Reformation. And eventually the church uh, excommunicated, the Catholic Church excommunicated Martin Luther, but he didn't care because he didn't think they had the power to do that. He was trying to get away from the temple model. These sacred men didn't have any special power. And we came, as a result of the Reformation, we came up with two solas, which are pretty significant for us today. The first is sola fida, which means by faith alone. So it wasn't through all this other stuff the church was teaching. You connect to God, we would say by grace, through faith alone. That's how you do it. And that was a big change from the Catholic Church of the day. And then the second one, sola scriptura. Okay, that means by scripture alone. So if it's in the scripture, it's, you know, all these other things that the popes have written and so forth. No, no, it's all based on scripture alone, which sounds like a good thing. Most of us would agree with both of those things. But here was the problem, and Martin Luther put it this way. <clears throat> a man, a simple layman, anybody, armed, and that's the problem word there, armed with scriptures greater than the mightiest pope without it. And he, he had good intention when he said this. But here's the problem. The Bible, we call the Bible, became a weapon at this point. And so denominations got started, dozens and then hundreds and probably a thousand now. Now, did the, all these denominations get started because they argued over how to love one another? No, no. It was about some theological issue or other. One way to think about this, and maybe this has happened to you, and maybe you've done this to somebody else. We started beating people over the head with the Bible. And the problem with that is love lost. Love lost. It's all about what you believed instead of how you acted. Now, I'm just going to pretend, because this isn't really in the Bible. I don't know if it really happened. But I could like to imagine things. It's fun for me. So I can imagine Jesus and Paul up in heaven looking down here at what's happening, all this stuff we talked about, thinking, scratching their head, thinking, how's this happened? Why don't they get it? I made it as clear as I could. Jesus would say, hey, I even washed their stinking feet to show them, you know, what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to one another, one another, love one another, be nice to each other, and so forth. And we have recorded in John chapter 13, giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples, not what you believe about this theological issue or that issue. If you go to church or whatever, even those things should be right and good and so forth. And Paul said, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I did the best I could. I wrote it down in different places, and we looked at one last week. We looked, mentioned it earlier. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Then I imagine Peter coming along and joining the conversation and saying, I, I don't get it either. I did my best. I wrote it down too. Let's read something Peter wrote. 
Skip ahead two, two slides. Next one. Next. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your hearts. So what went wrong? How did it get so complicated? And I think the best way I can say it is this. There's a little temple model in all of us. And you say, no, 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 I don't know about that, Pastor. Let me try and give you a few illustrations to help you understand this. All right. For example, have you ever asked yourself or asked somebody else or just wondered, how close can I get to sin without sinning? Where's the line? Whether it's on a date or whether it's, you know, in a bar or gambling facility or whether it's filling out your income taxes or selling a lie or somebody gives you incorrect change, giving it back or not. The line, the examples are endless. I get asked this question sometimes. It's a bad question. I don't like to answer it. How close can I get to sin without sinning? You're missing the whole point, right? It isn't how close to sin you should get. It's how close you get God you can get. Like the old illustration, the guy, person's hang, hiring a driver. And so you had this driver's t- test drive or test, um, you know, illustrate how good a driver they are. So they go on this curvy mountain road and, and these drivers are trying to stay as close, close to the guardrail as possible just to show off. And one driver comes and just hugs the center line. Who do you think the guy hired? He didn't want to get as close to disaster as possible. He wanted to be as safe as possible. How about this one? Have you ever felt more guilty about missing church than mistreating somebody? Yeah, you know, I was unkind to my spouse or my kids or somebody at work, but... I shouldn't have missed church on Sunday. That's temple thinking. Uh, you ever felt bad because you weren't baptized or somebody you love weren't baptized? Oh, they're not going to make it. That's temple thinking. Have you, however you interpret moral, morality, have you ever failed morally, whether it's sexually or truth, telling the truth or whatever it is, have you ever failed morally and thought worse about God than you did about what you did to that person. That's temple thinking. Because see, temple thinking is more concerned about self than it is others. Jesus said, no, 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 no. <laughs> supposed to be more concerned about others than self. Do you ever believe you have this magic prayer you can pray and you're okay, everything's okay? No matter if you treated somebody nicer, treated a person right or not? Here's one that'll probably get us all. You ever felt superior? Any other, any realm. Oh, I'm a Democrat and you're a Republican. Or I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat. Or I'm a Baptist and you're a Catholic. Or I'm a Presbyterian and you're a Methodist. Or I believe this and you don't. Or you believe this and I don't. Or I do that and I don't do that and you do that. Jesus tells this wonderful story. This really religious guy, a Pharisee actually, goes into the temple to pray and he's praying this prayer and in his prayer he says, there's this he called a sinner next to him. He said, thank you, God, that I'm not like this poor sinner over here. And then we hear the, record the prayer of the sinner, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus asked a simple question. Who went away justified? It wasn't the, the religious guy. 
the one that felt superior is the one that just asked for mercy. I got everybody yet? A little temple thinking in all of us. Have your beliefs ever gotten in the way of loving someone? I said this last week. If you're a Jesus follower, again, if you're not, we're glad you're here kind of checking us out. If you're a Jesus follower, you and God are fine. All right? He won't love you any more than you do now. He, don't, he won't love you any less than he does right now. It doesn't matter what you do in your lifetime. I know that can sound um, sacrilegious. But you're okay. So God says, all right, we're okay, so focus on making this okay. Because that only affects your relationship. That's how you're going to prove everybody else you're one of my followers. I said this, I think, last week too. Jesus died for you. And if somebody dies for you, they're for you. So you don't have to worry about that. God's on your side. What if we made that the context of our conscience, of our attitude, of our behavior? I think it's the last thing I put on your outline. God's love for us and for those around us must inform our conscience and shape our behaviors. Not some theological perspective or issue. Another way to say it is it should reflect forgiveness. Again, if you're a Jesus follower, all your sins, past, present, all the way into the day you die, have been forgiven. They're under the blood of Jesus, under the cross. Don't have to worry about that. They're forgiven. We should ask for forgiveness when we screw up, but uh, they're covered. So the only thing that should concern us is what, love, what does love require of me? What does love require of me as a spouse? What does love require of me as a child? What does love require of me as a parent or grandparent? What does love require of me as a good citizen of the United States? What does love require of me as an employee of this company or that company? What does love require of me? Again, this is a lot to take in. Uh, we've been talking about it for three weeks. Got a couple more weeks to talk about it, but hopefully this is getting our juices flowing in the right direction that Christianity and the temple model are completely separate things. And we talked about it in the past. We are free. This is freeing to just love one another. Hopefully you can join us next week if we continue. I'm going to have a prayer with you and then we're going to have one final song and let you go. Uh, God, thank you. We thank you for the fact that you brought uh, something brand new. And it's so much better than the old. We thank you that uh, because of what Jesus has done, if we become a follower of yours, then we're okay. You're on our side. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, sure, we should hang out with you and hang out with, you know, in ecclesias with other one another's. But we're okay. We need to focus on that vertical, those relationships. Because that's what proves that we're Jesus followers. Not because we go to some building we call a church on a Sunday, and put money in the offering, or read our Bibles, or pray. All those things are good. But that's what proves it. It's our actions. So God, let, help us get our conscience tuned to this new ethic, this new commandment. 
God, I want to pray for anyone here this morning that's not stepped across that line, is not a Jesus follower, that they would do that this, today. They would see it as a complete gift. Sins can be forgiven. They're in good standing with you, God, for, the, for eternity. And they can focus on the horizontal. God, we thank you for this privilege we've had to, to speak about you, to teach your word. Let your spirit work, encouraging us and changing us. In Jesus' name, amen.